Welcome to episode 29 of the Behind the Catholic Counter podcast. I'm Ian Rutherford, president of AquinasAndMore.com. I interview Catholic authors, publishers, and manufacturers to give you the latest news about great new Catholic books and gifts. You can listen to this and past episodes at AquinasAndMore.com slash podcast. May is the month of Mary, so be sure to check out our blog for an article about May and also a link to our 20% off sale on Marian gifts that runs all through May. The Feast of Corpus Christi isn't until June, but if you want to start an old tradition in your parish and have a Corpus Christi procession, now is the time to start planning. We have a very thorough article on our blog explaining how to do a procession and also how to get a gorgeous canopy for your parish. It's going to take about three weeks to get one, so now is the time to do that. Because it's spring, there are a bunch of great new products coming out from different publishers. This week, I interviewed Lisa Duffy about her new book, The Catholic Guide to Dating After Divorce. A very tough topic, but Lisa is very friendly and personable, so we had a great interview. Next week, I'll be talking to Steve Ray about his latest Footprints of God pilgrimage DVD, Abraham. Stay tuned at the end of the interview for a special offer from Lisa. Today I am interviewing Lisa Duffy about her new book, The Catholic Guide to Dating After Divorce. Lisa is a columnist for CatholicMatch.com and has spent 20 years helping other Catholics through the trials of divorce. Lisa also wrote the book, Divorced Catholic Now What?, and produced Voices of Hope, a DVD to help divorce Catholics. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, absolutely. It's great to be here. Thank you. Lisa, can you tell me about your background, especially about your long ministry that you've had for uh, other divorced Catholics? Sure. Well, um, it all started with my own unfortunate divorce back in 1993, Um, and I had married for life, but this divorce was kind of thrown upon me, and so I was basically thrust out in the world as a 30-year-old divorced Catholic. And at the time, um, the only thing available to me through the Church that I could find was a... um, support group at a church about 25 miles away from me, and it was for a separated, divorced, and widowed um, people. And I went a few times, and I found something good there that was uh, other people were suffering terribly, just like I was. And it's important for people to know that, you know, who are going through a divorce, that you're not the only one, because it can really feel like you're the only one that has this horrible pain and has to deal with this situation. So that was good, but the thing that wasn't so good was I realized there's a very distinct difference between the suffering that um, widows and widowers go through and divorced people go through. So there was a lot left to be desired, you might say. And so um, I, as I progressed you know, in life, I kind of went forward I transferred to a different state with my company so I could kind of start over, begin a new life. And I made a lot of mistakes in those first couple of years because I wasn't looking, I I needed healing desperately, but I was looking for it in all the ways that my friends and coworkers and other people I met advised, which is kind of the way of the world. It's what I like to call the culture of divorce. 
it's just kind of, you know, congratulating you on, you know, losing the bum and now you're free and just go live an indulgent lifestyle. And that's pretty much what I was doing, knowing, you know, I kind of had one foot in the church and one foot in the culture of divorce because I loved being Catholic. And one of the reasons why we got a divorce was because my husband thought I was too Catholic. And that was very painful for me. So I believed in in my faith, and I wanted to find healing, but I wasn't looking there for it. I was looking in the wrong place. So I finally faced the realization that the only true healing I would ever get is, you know, in within my faith with the sacraments, staying uh, close as close to the sacraments as I possibly could, and um, the annulment process. And so I went through the annulment process. In 1997, I was granted a decree of nullity, and there was a ton of healing that came with that because I left the decision in God's hands, and I really wanted it to be something that was true and right because it determined the rest of my life. So I left that decision in in God's hands. I was granted a decree of nullity, and then in 1999, I met the man who I am married to today. And during my first marriage, we had, or I had uh, three miscarriages, and I was told that I would never be able to conceive due to surgery to correct the problem. Um, so going through all those, you know, post-divorce years, I also was knowing that I could never have children. But my husband and I got married, and we had three children um, with no trying at all. <laughs> That's no, wonderful. No extra help, shall we say. And uh, it, just, it just dawned on me one day while I was, um, I was about to give birth to my first child, how wonderful God is, even to a sinner like me, um, how faithful He is and how much He blesses us uh, when we're faithful to Him. And here I was about to give birth to a miracle child, and I was remarried in the church to someone whom I loved madly, and I just couldn't be quiet about it. I I just had to tell other people who were suffering, don't give up hope, because there are still good things in life for you. And so that is what started me, it's what prompted me, to um, do any of this, um, to do Journey of Hope, um, to write for Catholic Match, and and to write this book um, that is going to be released here in a few days. I, people who are divorced, especially if they're Catholic, because there's so much more misunderstanding and and uh, suffering involved with that. They're just so dear to my heart, and I would love to be able to reach as many as possible because I can't prevent divorce, but I can be there to walk with them and help them carry their cross and pick up their pieces and find that God loves them, that um, they're worthy, and that there's still great things ahead of them. That's a theme I like in your book is that you talk about how divorce hurts, but it doesn't make you any less of a child of God and, and that you need to accept that you're, that you're still a child of God and that it doesn't, you know, it, does, it isn't a permanent destruction to you. Um, but one of the things that people tend to have is a sense of almost shame 
that oh, I can't show my face around my parish anymore because I'm divorced now, whether or not they were irresponsible. What uh, what should people do to deal with that, uh, you know, almost irrational sense of, of shame almost they sometimes feel after a divorce? Well, that's a great point that you bring up, a very important one. And I think we what, you know, people need to do is look at the reality of the situation. The reality first is that there is a sense of shame because we know Jesus taught um, that a man who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. Um, you know, he, he spelled out that divorce was not in God's plan for marriage. So there is a natural sense of shame that comes with the label divorce. But if you continue to look at things um, reasonably, we know that um, not every spouse opted for divorce. So there's always the one that did fight for the divorce, I mean, fight for the marriage and, and did everything they could to save the marriage. And then we look a little further at personal circumstances and we see that there are a whole other community of spouses that never dreamed of divorce, but because of abusive behavior in the home, they're forced into it. And this is, um, it, these, that community in the church definitely bears a lot of grief and shame over this label of divorce. So the church says, we know that um, not every spouse was the one that chose divorce for a selfish reason. And they spell out pretty clearly in canon law and uh, in the catechism that any spouse who did not divorce for selfish reasons is welcome and encouraged to receive the sacraments. So we look at things reasonably, and then we stay close to the sacraments, which is very, very important. And then we also, um, you know, someone who is going through that should also um, be as close to God in prayer as possible because God loves us. You know, it doesn't matter if it's divorce or whatever the sin is, you know, abuse, alcoholism, pornography. I mean, there's a list as long as, you know, the day. It doesn't matter what the sin is. God loves us. He's there for us, and he wants us to come to him. He wants us to be close to him. So it's very important to understand that um, the shame that comes naturally with that label divorce does not mean you're not welcome. It does not mean that you are unloved or, or unworthy. It means that now you need to start um, taking a closer look at God and coming closer to Him and, you know, just really clinging to Him and the grace and the mercy that He has in store for you. Now, in, in the Catholic Guide to Dating After Divorce, you talk about how important this forgiveness is as a starting point for dealing with it. Can you explain why we should focus on forgiveness? Uh, because a lot of times after divorce, you're tendency is, well, I can't forgive this person because of what he or she did to me, and it's it's uh, it's such a big deal. Yes. Yeah, it is. And I think in many situations in life, not just divorce, um, it's really difficult to kind of swallow your pride and your anger and uh, forgive someone. But a lot of times in a divorce situation, the person who needs to do the forgiving has been betrayed. Uh, quite seriously on a number of levels. And um, even for someone who, you know, 
chose to divorce because of abusive circumstances, that person has experienced betrayal. They didn't sign up for that. And so, you know, people are, are trying to move forward with justified anger. And that the justified anger is not the problem. What the problem is, is hanging on to it. Because when you hold on to lack of forgiveness or, you know, resentment and anger, all you're doing is, is making your heart like a prison. It's like your ex-spouse and whoever else was a part of the divorce that really hurt you. It's like they're all locked up in little jail cells in your heart. And uh, you punish them. You, you yell at them. You replay scenarios where you wish you had something different to say, wish you could have said, you know, chosen the right words. And so as long as you're holding on to this lack of forgiveness, you can say those things. You can envision putting them in their place or making them feel as bad as you do or something like that. So, um, you know, who, after you get a divorce, most people still believe that they want to love, you know, that they are capable of loving and having a good relationship. But how in the world can you do that if your heart is full of resentment? And if you have, have these, you know, uh, hypothetical people locked up in your heart, uh, it just, you can't love. There's no room for love. And I had a priest specifically tell me that uh, one day when I was in confession. He says, you, you say that you're ready for love, but how can you love? You haven't forgiven. And so that's the primary reason why forgiveness is so important. When you don't forgive, there's always a uh, tension, there's always anxiety, there's always hardness of heart. And those things do not lend themselves to a good, healthy, new relationship. And also, you know, of course, the other reason, which is probably more important, is that God requires us to forgive. If we want to be forgiven for our sins, we must, according to Him. So forgiveness is extremely important and very essential in the healing process for those reasons. Now, in your book, you mentioned that it's important, if at all possible, to try reconciliation with your spouse. Now, your your story in here about trying to do that is, oh, it's it's heartbreaking, but why is it important for somebody to at least make the attempt to do a reconciliation, even if they're sure the other person was in the wrong? And, and just get back to the forgiveness part of it? Um, yes and no. Um, yeah, there's going to be... In that act, there will, will come a realization. Well, actually, let me let me just back up and just uh, say a little bit about what happened to me. I, my ex-spouse was already living with someone when I decided that I would ask for reconciliation, and uh, it was a very bold thing to do. I knew. But there was something in me that was driving me to do that, and I didn't quite realize it until later what was driving me to do that. But it was this simple reason. I wanted to make sure I had done absolutely everything, I, that I had just pulled out all the stops and opened up all the doors and made sure that he knew uh, I would be willing to save the marriage. And um, it didn't turn out that way. Uh, after this conversation, he still proceeded on the path that he was going. But what it did for me was it freed me from any guilt or shame that uh, I may have been hanging on to. Um, 
because I I know without a doubt I gave it every chance, every possibility. So it was very freeing and brought a lot of peace. And um, it brought a lot of tears, too. Uh, I, I can't deny that. And I think that anybody who does that and doesn't receive the reconciliation, it, it's going to be a little bit more suffering, but it's good suffering. It's cleansing. And when I took my vows with my real husband, as I call him, Jim, um, there was not one hesitation ever. I just, it was the right thing. I, and the past, I was free from. So, you know, if there are couples, I mean, if there are um, people who their spouse has already remarried and it's not possible, okay. Or, um, you know, if it was an abusive relationship and it really is not the right thing to do to ask for reconciliation, that's fine. But in some way, every divorced Catholic should give the relationship every opportunity to be healed and to be whole again within reason, if that makes sense. It does. Now, Lisa, at the beginning of the book, you start off by saying something that's almost counterintuitive in a book about dating, and that's that jumping back into dating after a divorce may not be the best thing for you to do. Why is that? (laughs) Well, um, let's put it this way. I became the poster child for what not to do after a divorce. (laughs) Um, I, I think I've made probably every mistake. And that doesn't mean just, um, you know, having illicit relations. What it means is trying to cure the pain through self-indulgence. And there are many ways you can indulge yourself. Um, it, it, when you get a divorce, in, especially the first year after, um, and I don't want to sound um, contrived or anything because a lot of people talk about that first year after, but this time period is so essential to getting your feet on the ground and to start taking steps forward just to live a normal life because the pain is unbearable. You know, it's, it's, I, I could never put words to it. And the problem is you can't pop a Tylenol and make it go away. It's with you from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. It's always there. Extreme pain. So you're not in any shape to date when you're in, you know, those struggling moments. You're you're not in any way ready to date. It's just dumb. It's a dumb idea. Then as you go forward, what you have to kind of deal with are your pe- the people who love you who don't like to see you sad and lonely and suffering, they're going to encourage you to date as well. But it's probably still not a good idea because, number one, you're not truly available. Your heart is probably still learning how to heal. Um, If you haven't worked on forgiveness, well, we covered that, so that's a big step that has to take place. But also probably most importantly is being, you know, knowing that your status you know, as a Catholic, that you're absolutely available. And that means you need to go through the annulment process and receive a decree of nullity. And um, a decree of nullity basically says that the marriage bond you had with your former spouse was not valid in the eyes of God. So, but people might say, but the annulment process is so hard and takes so long. It's really not fair. Well, okay, Let's talk about fair. Let's talk about being fair to yourself, okay? 
if if we're going to stand on that the church is not fair, then let's talk about being fair to yourself. Do you feel like getting involved in a relationship where you may or may not be able to, uh, you fall in love and then you find out you actually can't get married? Um, or you fall in love and then you find out, oh, I've got all this baggage and I'm not ready for this. Well, then you've brought suffering upon two people. It's not fair um, to do that to someone else. If you're not really ready and really available to give your heart away, it's worth the wait. And and I think that um, that's what people don't see is they focus on this negative light that, you know, maybe the church isn't being fair. I liken it to, uh, if you don't mind my uh, extrapolating a bit, if you have a playground for an elementary school on a busy intersection and there is no fence, well, that's an accident waiting to happen because, you know, at some point a ball is going to run into the intersection a kid's going to chase it and get hit by a car. So, you know, you put a fence around that same playground and everybody's happy. The children play happy. The cars don't, you know, hit kids and get into accidents. It works. And that's what the church does for us. The church gives us parameters to keep us happy. And uh, that's the way I prefer to look at it. And, and that's what I truly believe they're doing. They're trying to keep us happy. And, you know, that's why we have the Ten Commandments and moral law and everything like that. So um, I've been there. I know that desperate unhappiness that comes with doing things my way. And so if I could, you know, give a message, it would be don't follow my example. Um, do things the right way and experience the peace and happiness that you're looking for and then find a good relationship. Uh, Lisa, one of the things I like about this book is that it's not just a, I'm going to sit down and read a book, but it's a book that is about doing things and, and putting some real thought behind this whole situation that a divorced Catholic finds uh, himself in. Can you talk about the, uh, the format of this book? Sure. Um, it's really important that people who are suffering the sadness and depression of divorce um, have something to work on, have and not as a distraction, definitely um, that's not the goal. It's to help them process their situation, their pain, their past relationship, and, and have something to look forward to. I, I spent a good portion of my post-divorce years in a little town in Connecticut uh, where I was living on my own, and I found that... Um, there was a very real and present danger, which was the weekend when I wasn't at work and I was all, you know, by myself for two days. And I, I would just launch into major pity parties, and that was very dangerous for me. And it's easy to fall into that. So I, I started with something simple when I realized I can't, I can't do this. I have to plan out a weekend so I am constantly doing something. And I didn't want to just distract myself. I wanted to be productive. So I started out small. I started, you know, cleaning out my closets and washing my car and purging my files and doing all the stuff I, I didn't want to do because I said I had never had any time. Read that book that mom gave me for Christmas, you know, all those things. And just getting going on that and passing through the weekend 
uh, productively and with a, a more positive perspective showed me that I could even get bigger, you know, go, go larger from that. And um, I did. I started um, doing things that would help me um, heal. I went on retreats. I did day trips down to the city and did things on my own. There were numerous things that I did, but it's very, very important to do something, to kind of start mapping out a guide for yourself, um, a roadmap that will take you from the person you are today to the happy person that you want to be in the future. And that's what I tried to really kind of um, pack this book with is some self-examination and then some, you know, suggestions for doing things that uh, would help you create that roadmap and, um, it, you know, really just kind of guide yourself to that happy person, if that makes sense. It does. Now, Lisa, apart from getting the Catholic Guide to Dating After Divorce, what would be step two for somebody to take uh, who's just who's uh, dealing with a divorce? Well, I think a very good thing to do is to look into the annulment process, um, at least look into it. And there are some dioceses who require someone to be divorced for an entire year before they're able to file. Why is that? Because oftentimes, uh, you know, people will get halfway through the annulment process and they will reconcile with their spouse. So they just want to um, give it a year to see if things move toward reconciliation or not. And um, that's fine. Um, but if you look into it and you start you start understanding what it's all about, you know, that you'll meet with an advocate and that it takes so much time and um, you need to gather witnesses, etc. It starts the ball rolling and what you'll find with the annulment process, if you go into it with the right frame of mind, if you go into it with, I want to resolve this part of my life um, and I want God to help give me a new direction for my life. If you go into it with that uh, type of attitude, then you will experience tremendous healing. Um, it's very tough to go through the questionnaire, but like I said, it, it, it really just kind of brings you face-to-face -face with the truth of what happened in your marriage and your divorce. And when you face it like that, you really can't hide. And it's good to face the truth. It's good to um, accept whatever you know blame you might have. It's good to understand what your spouse actually did. And then it's good to lay it to rest. That's the best part about the process is you lay that chapter of your life to rest and it frees you to open a brand new chapter. And I love that about uh, the annulment process. I like to refer to it um, oftentimes as the eighth sacrament because it really does have that healing aspect to it. So that's definitely what I would recommend. Okay, great. Now, with the upcoming uh, Synod on Families, what are you hoping that comes out of this uh, when they meet this fall? Well, <laughs> that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what I think, what I think um, would be great is if there could be more uniformity uh, 
on the understanding of issues pertaining to divorced Catholics, such as a civil divorce in and of itself does not prohibit a Catholic from receiving the sacraments and participating in parish life. And this is widely misconstrued. Um, Also, I believe that divorced Catholics who have remarried without going through the annulment process and receiving a decree of nullity should not receive, uh, uh, sorry, the Eucharist. And that's a whole different discussion, but I do hope that there will be clarification on that. Um, And, you know, a lot of divorced Catholics feel like, well, you're just excluding me, you're alienating me from the church, and that has nothing to do with it. You know, if I, as a married woman, am in a state of mortal sin, I can't receive communion. Um, A single person, you take any person in any state of life, if they're not in a state of grace, they cannot receive communion. So that's another thing that I really wish would kind of be promoted is we're not alienating you. We're not dismissing you. This is a condition that all people from all walks of life must adhere to. If you, you know, you need to rectify your situation before you can receive communion again. It's very, very important because this has kind of become like this human rights issue and the church hates divorced people, and it's so not true. It's very, very untrue. On the contrary, that the church loves all her members, especially the divorced, and so it's important. I wish that some of these issues would be clarified and promoted with their clarification. Mm-hmm. Hey, Lisa, now you have a special offer for our listeners who are interested in your book. Can you please tell us about that? Yes, and I'm very excited to promote this, so I hope people take advantage of it. In the book, uh, toward, I think it's the last chapter, um, I talk about creating a life program. And what that is is really kind of um, creating that roadmap that I spoke previously about um, that will get you from where you are today to being that happy person. And I love to help people create this. It, it, it's exciting to me, and uh, it's very exciting to them. It's part of my coaching program. So the offer that I'd like to promote is whoever purchases my book um, on Tuesday the 12th, if you purchase the book on that date and you email me your receipt, then you, I will email you a link, and you can go set an appointment with me um, where I will help you create your life program. So um, it will be a phone appointment, and um, I think it's something very exciting. I can't wait to help people do it. So that's the deal. If you buy the book on the 12th of May and you forward me your receipt, I will in turn send you a link where you can sign up for an appointment with me by phone. Oh, that sounds great. Now, Lisa, how can people find out more about you and about the the work that you do? Well, my website is lisaduffy.com, and uh, I have a ton of resources there for um, anybody, you know, individuals or parish leaders. And I also blog for uh, the Catholic Match Institute at catholicmatchinstitute.com, and I have a biweekly blog there. So I hope people will visit, and you can also... Um, email me, if you'd like, at lisa at lisaduffy.com. 
Well, Lisa, thank you for taking the time today, and especially for writing this book uh, that's such a needed uh, resource in today's world. I appreciate your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Don't forget to purchase your copy of Lisa's new book and send her your receipt to be entered into her drawing. I'll have links in the show notes so you can read there to get the details. Next week, I'll be talking with Steve Ray about Abraham and the footprints of God. Thank you for joining me today. For links to the books and websites we discussed today, see the show notes. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and comment on this and past episodes at aquinasandmore.com slash podcast. At aquinasandmore.com, we are in the business of strengthening your faith through the products we sell. I look forward to having you shop with us where good faith is guaranteed. God bless. God bless.